We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And it focuses in on two main pillars of the Christian life. Now, these two pillars get at the heart of what John is seeking to do this entire letter, right? He's seeking to assure those who have been born of God that they, we, are in fact his children now. It assures us of our standing and our salvation. These two pillars assure us of our standing and our salvation. What are those two pillars? Faith and love, or believing and loving. Faith and love might be the most succinct way to describe or summarize the Christian life, apart from just saying Jesus, right, the Sunday school answer. Uh, But faith and love address both our heads and our hearts, the fullness uh, of our whole person that it addresses. Faith is about what we believe to be true, what we put our hope and our trust in. Not hope like I have my fingers crossed and I I hope this kind of just comes comes true, but certainty, a certainty of hope, like I'm going to stake my eternity on it kind of hope. Love is about what controls my heart and actions. And here's how the two are connected or are related. What I have faith in, or what you have faith in, or what you believe will change and control what you love. What you have faith in, what you believe is going to change and control what you love. Something that's interesting, something we're going to look into more, I think, in a couple weeks Uh, when we get to the purpose verse of the whole letter that we keep talking about in chapter 5, verse 13, is that throughout this whole letter, John's main concern is that we have that assurance that we are his children. And yet, all the themes, all the topics that John writes about are the fundamental Christian 101 kind of stuff. John does not direct us to the depth of our knowledge for assurance, the tally marks of our record, the level of our commitment, or even the strength of our faith. But he keeps pointing us back to the basics. He keeps pointing us back to the fundamentals. See, much like professional athletes or musicians, what happens is they are experts at what they do. But time and time again, if you see them practicing, if you see them practicing, what you will see is they are working on the fundamentals. The basics, the things that they learned when they first started getting into that sport or that instrument. That is very much what John is doing here. He is pointing us to the foundation assurance we have and things that we learned when we first became Christians. He's pointing us back to those things, faith in the gospel and love for God and others. That's what he's doing here in our text. See, we do not graduate and move on from these things, but the goal of the Christian life is actually to sink deeper and deeper into the reality of them. In other words, you and I are not in need of new information this morning. But what we need is to return back to what we have known from the beginning, what we have known from the start, what you have known since you became a Christian. That's where this text and John is leading us this morning. So if you can are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God, when we, keep, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. All right, you be seated. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would speak powerfully through your word as you promised to do. That it would be your word that would go through. That you would remove me out of the way and that your spirit would move uh, in our hearts this morning. That you would renew the joy of our salvation. That we would not uh, take lightly being returned back to things that we have known before, but that you would renew those things in our hearts. That you would change us on the spot, make us more and more like Christ. We ask this of you because only you can do it. We can't produce that in ourselves. And so we trust and expect and look forward to you fulfilling your promise through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, what is the biggest transition you would say that somebody goes through in life? If someone asks you, what's the biggest transition that you, an individual, any person, most people go through in their life? Would you say when you learn to walk, maybe? Going from crawling to walking, I mean, the world opens up in that sense, right? Or maybe when you learn to talk. You learn to talk and you can communicate your desires and your needs. Kids are so cute. And then they start talking. <laughs> and some of that cuteness stays, and some of it, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, what about potty train? Another potty train. I mean, independence, right? No more diapers. Hallelujah. That's great. What is it? Or maybe going off to school. Maybe the first day of school, going off to college. Those are big, massive events that change uh, what you knew of life before. Marriage. What would you say it is? What would you say is the biggest transition? Well, I have an answer. I have the winner. Uh, it's when you're born. <laughs> the transition of being born, of being brought into this world is the thing that's the mo- biggest transition that we go to. It's the most dramatic thing that we go through. And yet, you have no memory, no hand in your birth, and, uh, and you can't take any credit for it. You didn't have a say of wanting to be born right? It was done to you. Something that happened to you. Well, the biggest transition that people go through who become Christians is a, in their spiritual life is a birth as well. That's the biggest transition for people who become Christians in their spiritual life is their birth. Or as John puts it in our text, being born again or born of God. This is the most radical transition and change that you will go through. And much like our natural birth, you had no say in it. And you can't take credit for it. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? I'm the one who made the choice to become a Christian. I prayed that prayer like 10 times. (laughs) I walked down the aisle every time it was offered. I chose to be baptized. But according to the Bible, according to this letter, according to our text... All of those things did not cause you 
to be born again or born of God, but they are evidences that you are or have been born of God. Look at what verse 1 says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, our pastor in Waco, Pete's brother, would always say God is in the grammar. And I hated that because I'm not very good at grammar. (laughs) But uh, this phrase, has been born, is is a perfect middle indicative, meaning that those who are born of God were acted upon means they were passive in that process. And what happened to us in that has continuing, lasting effects in our life. See, it's a status that we're given. It's a reality that's happened to you, not something you've done. You did not participate in it. And what happened to you has continuing effects and things that you can show as evidence that it happened. Those effects are laid out here in verse 1. Believing and loving. And how do you know you've been born again? Not because you prayed a prayer 20 years ago. Not because you walked down to the aisle or the altar. But because you are currently and continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is your Savior. And because you continue to love, because you continue to believe that, love for God and love for others should be a part of your life. Faith and love, or believing and loving, are not how you are born again, but are continual effects that you have been born again, that you have been born of God. This faith that he's talking about is not just any faith. It's not faith for faith's sake. It's not even overly concerned on the strength and the confidence you have in your faith. The focus of the faith that he's talking about is the object of our faith. This specific faith is faith in the gospel, in Jesus as your Savior. So how do you know you've been born again? How do you know that that transition has happened in your life? John says how you know is that you continually, continually believe in Jesus as your hope and as your Savior. You continually believe that the second person of the Trinity took on real flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose on the third day for you. You don't move on from that. We don't move on from that. We need to hear that constantly. We need to apply that truth of the gospel to our lives. We need to learn to preach it to ourselves And we need to be in a community of believers, a church, that consistently presents that and points us to the truth of the gospel. See, and the love that John talks about is not a general concept of lacking hate towards people. But it's an active pursuit that comes out of your heart. And while we are called to love our neighbors elsewhere in the Bible, it's another way of saying we're called to love everyone, um, The focus of our text is more specific than that. The focus of our love should be first directed towards fellow believers. Or as John puts it in verse 1, whoever has been born of him. This love comes from our hearts that has been changed in our new birth. We've been given new hearts, new natures. But this love does not stay in our heart is what John's telling us. 
The focus here is not how you feel about others, although it's assumed and that's important. The focus is on how your love for God and others directs your actions and your behavior. One commentator wrote that John's usual approach is to say that people's claims to love God are to be tested by the presence or absence of love for fellow believers in their lives. But here he does the reverse. He says that whether or not you love the children of God can be determined by the presence or absence of love for God and obedience to his commands. And then he goes on to write, one cannot love God and keep his commands without loving the children of God. And one cannot love the children of God without loving God and keeping his commands. Here's what he's getting at. The way we can know that we do in fact love others, the way you know if you're loving others or not, again, it's not by how you feel, but John's telling us it's actually by obeying God. The way we know that we're loving others is by obeying God. Now, just like your faith does not save you, but is evidence of your salvation, obedience does not save you. It does not earn you anything with God. John is simply telling us as evidence that you are saved, that you have been born of him. So this truth is presented to us over and over throughout the Bible. If you notice when you read the Bible and the order of which uh, the authors bring things about, you'll notice that always what comes first is what's true, what's indicative of you. This is true. This is what God has done of you. Therefore, now the imperative comes. Therefore, now the doing, the applying comes. We saw this truth so clearly in our series in Exodus, right? See, God first saves those people. Picture of salvation. He proclaims and promises them after he saves them to covenantally be their God. And then, only after they are saved and promise God's faithfulness, does he give them the law for which they should obey. That's the constant order that the Bible presents uh, the law to us. It tells us what's true, the promises, the hopes that we have because of what's happened to us, what God has done for us. And then after that, in light of that truth, it tells us what we ought to do. So this wonderful truth is what separates Christianity from all other religions, all other belief systems or way of life. This order of events, this relationship to the law. See, all other religions use the law, relate to the law as a way to get things. They present it as this is how you live because this is how you receive good. This is how you get salvation. This is how you get blessings. This is how you get your health. And your wealth together is by obeying God and doing the right things. But sadly, Christians can get confused and approach the law this way as well. Thinking things like, if I don't have my quiet time this morning, something bad might happen. Or if I give generously of my money, that means God's blessings are coming my way. and bless me financially in the way I hope and the timing that I hope he does. But that is not our relationship to the law. That is not the promises. Those are not the promises we are giving. John is telling us that our obedience is not how we are born of God, but is evidence that we already are. He is telling us that our love for God and for other children of God is not a concept for us to understand. And it's not or an emotion that stays in our heart, but is displayed by our response of obedience to his commands. That is the call of the text this morning. It's very simple. It's very clear. 
is to reveal and show, be assured of your status of being born of God by obeying his commands, and that's how you know you're loving others. That's the call, love God and others by obeying his commands. Now, if I were to stop the sermon here, you'd probably be really thrilled because it's short first, but you would also leave with a sense of weight and obligation. You might be motivated, you might be focused and determined to try and obey God's commands this week, but there would be this sense of trying to do it by pulling yourself up by the bootstrap, so to say. But Christianity is not a grit-your-teeth kind of religion. Do you know that? It's not a grit-your-teeth, it's not a gut-it-out-no-matter-how-you-feel religion or approach. Obeying the law of God is not meant to be a duty that weighs on you. It's meant to be a delight in your life. It's meant to be our delight because it's meant to be our expression and response of love for God and for others. John tells us at the end of verse 3 that for those who are born of God, the commandments are not burdensome. So the question is, why do they so often feel that way? If John tells us that the commandments for those who are born of God are not burdensome, why do they so often, can they so often feel like a burden? burdensome to us? Why do we so often relate to the law of God as a burden that we have to do rather than a delight and a joy in which we express our love? I think the answer kind of comes in the next verse, verse 4. I think it's because too often we forget the gospel. We forget the fundamentals, the basics of Christianity. We forget that Jesus has overcome the world and its ways for us. We for, when we forget that, we start to buy in the world's teaching, whether we know it or not, even in our Christian life and approach. See, the teaching of the world says basically it's up to you. Your hope, your value, it's up to you. Your worth, your status, your assurance depends on you. You must overcome. You must perform. You must justify yourself through what you do. Right? This is, you get sayings like, what have you done for me lately? Kind of stuff. That we just, and we're just live in that culture. The world says your access to God's love, your access to his grace, your access to his blessing rises and falls According to how you perform, according to how you're obeying, how you're keeping or not keeping his, his commandments. It says it all depends on you and how well you obey. But John reminds us that is not the way of living. That, is that, way, that, that way of trying to relate to God has been overcome. And what does he point us to? By what? The end of verse 4, our faith. It's been overcome by our faith, by our belief. But our faith in what? Verse 5, it's very simple, the gospel, basics, the fundamental, your faith in Jesus. You know, it's interesting that this text uh, in, my ser- in our series of 1 John has landed on Palm Sunday, providential. 
See, traditionally, Palm Sunday is where we remember, uh, reflect, and rejoice about Jesus' triumphal entry, ultimately leading him to the cross. And often the focus gets put on these palm branches that the people are waving to celebrate his entry. And that's a right thing to focus on, hence the name, right? Palm Sunday. But the power and the punch, the power and the punch of that scene is not about what the people are doing. It is about what Jesus is doing. Usually, a king would come in uh, to claim their victory after war. To claim their victory after war and their status solidified as king. And they would ride in on this majestic, beautiful warrior horse to display the majesty of their kingship. But Jesus is not riding on that kind of animal, is he? Jesus is riding on a small, ordinary, young, unimpressive donkey. (laughs) Do you know what they would call donkeys in the culture at this time that Jesus is riding in? Anyone? They call him the beast of burden. (laughs) Jesus is riding on a beast of burden. That's his victory. What's happening here is that Jesus is riding the beast of burden because where he is going and what he's going to do. He is headed to the cross to bear the burden of God's wrath that we earned through our disobedience to his commands. And in doing so, we actually receive God's love that was earned by Jesus' perfect obedience to his commands. Therefore, because of that, God's commandments are no longer burdensome for you and for me. But the beautiful way now in which we can express our love for God and for one another. They do not earn us anything with God. Because in Christ, we already possess everything. Everything. They cannot condemn us. The law of God is no longer allowed to condemn you. It's no longer how you relate to the law. It cannot condemn you or cause any of God's displeasure when you disobey. Because Jesus already took the fullness of that on the cross in your place. And when the law of God, therefore, when the law of God feels burdensome, What that means is that we have forgotten that we have been born again. That we have been acted upon, born of God. And so we need to go back to the basics when we realize or feel that the law of God is burdensome to us. We need to remember and go back to the gospel. Go back to the fundamentals of our faith. And when we do that, We are meant to experience and see the love of God for us once again. And we are filled with love for him and love for others. Jesus says, come to me all who labor, all who feel like they're having to grind it out, to gut it up, 
Come to me, those who labor and are heavy laden, who feel the weight of a burden that's no longer theirs to carry. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to the last part. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's our burden. It's light now because we have his yoke, because he took our burden. We get his burden, which is light, because he rode the beast of burden for us. Our tendency when we hear our call to obey God's commands is to think that we must gut it out and just do it and just do the right thing. But John is not pointing us to our work for God in order to cause us to obey. He's pointing us to his work and his love for us by pointing us to his work in us as born-again Christians. There's a secret. There's no other kind of Christians. You don't get born into it through your family, but you become born again. A new birth takes place. Jesus did not come and ride the beast of burden to cause you to behave, to cause you to obey. Jesus did not come to make you a polite person who thinks of other people. Jesus did not come to turn good people into great people, and he didn't even come to turn bad people into good people. Jesus came to give dead people life. To give dead people a new birth. So that we will never die again. As we'll hear next week as we celebrate Easter, if you are a child of God, Death has no more sting. It has no more victory over you. Death is not the final say for those who have been born. Death, even death, is to serve God's plan for you, which is to thrust you into eternity with him, your loving father. So while the call to love God and others by obeying his commands, that's the call of our text. The power for us to do so comes from the bookends of our text, verse 1 and verse 5, which is our faith that Jesus has already done what he's calling us to do here perfectly for us. And his last act of obeying perfectly for us is by taking our burden on the cross, which is the wrath of God. And in doing so, he's also giving us his burden, his burden which is light, his burden which is the love of God. That is what John is directing us to. Because when we get that, now we can express our love by obeying, not to get but because we are so sure of what we have in our Savior who took our burden. So may God renew the joy of our salvation this morning by giving us faith to believe that once again, and believing and believing, causing us to love others by obeying his commands, 
which are no longer burdensome. And then, man, whew.